Welcome to the I'm a Health Visitor podcast. We want to help health visitors stay up to date, so we're here to give evidence-based information and insight into relevant practice issues. We're currently supported by the CPHVA Education Development Trust, McQueen Bursary. Hello and welcome to the I Am A Health Visitor podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Amy. Um, so today we, ha- we are joined by uh, Dr. Vicky Fallon. Hello. Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you And too. you. Um, and so we've come, so am I right in thinking, is it, Amy, you read Vicky's work or have you two yeah, so- met in the sphere of PhD-ness. Yeah, well, sort of both, yeah. So while I'm doing my PhD, I've been reading around the topic and trying to find other researchers that are interested in similar stuff and um, really interested to read some of your work, Vicky. And then we had a call, didn't we? And I was like, oh, this is really good. And I was like, would you like to come on the podcast? <laughs> and so I agreed. <laughs> Yay! So here we are. Um- and so we should say as well, so Vicky, a lot of your work is around perinatal anxiety. That's right. Which I think we can all agree, especially as health visitors, is a really big thing that we need to look out for in things. But probably something that a lot of us do sometimes struggle with fully understanding and measuring. Um, and so am I right in thinking that a lot of your work is around helping us with that? Yeah, so a lot of my work is around improving identification and measurement of uh, postnatal anxiety specifically is where my work's focused. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of work already conducted in the, the pregnancy anxiety literature. Mm. Um, and then when I was doing my PhD, very, very much less in terms of the postnatal anxiety mm. literature. So that was kind of where the gap was identified. And that's where a lot of my work stems from. Cool. And what's your background? So I'm guessing you're a doctor from having done your PhD. Yes. What was your background before that as well? So I did my bachelor's in psychology at Lancaster University and then did my PhD in psychology at Liverpool University. My PhD is actually focused on the relationship between anxiety and infant feeding from pregnancy to parenthood. So I have got two strands to my work. I've got the anxiety strand, but I'm also very much interested in infant feeding as well. Oh, fantastic. And, and Jenny's it, an IBCLC, um, Vicky. I, don't know, I think I told you that. So you guys have got a lot in common in terms of your interest in feeding. Definitely. We'll yeah. have to catch up about that. Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I can feel lots of um, interest. Yeah, so many. It's interesting how, especially now that I'm seeing families specifically from an infant feeding point of view, and actually having an hour and a half with a family just to talk about feeding, it's never just about feeding. There's so many other things that do come into it as well. Mm. And definitely, this sort of, it is an interesting way of being able to get in and talk through about anxieties, fears, mm-hmm. worries. It's so um, intertwined with well. mental health, isn't it? Yeah, massively. You don't really get a conversation with a mother about feeding without without listening to mental health either, do you? Agreed, uh, definitely. They're, they're so intertwined. And that was that was kind of the, the focus of my PhD, was understanding the the relationship. And I say relationship because it's so bi-directional in nature. You know, we know that anxiety affects negatively affects feeding outcomes mm, but yeah. but actually if we breastfeed we have reductions in depression and anxiety mm, but then yeah. negative feeding experiences also contribute to poor mental health as well so they're so kind of intertwined and, and, and it's, tangled yeah. it's such an emotional journey isn't it feeding like whatever journey you take in terms of your feeding journey it's, it's so kind of linked to your emotions you know even I, I wouldn't have properly got that I don't think until I did it myself I didn't properly understand that and know yeah. the significance of it um no I see it's very much linked to kind of your schema as a parent because it's so mm. fundamental to that first you know that mm. that you, to, to parenthood itself isn't it mm. um so no yeah it's definitely important mm. and yeah. you've got a um so sorry I'm, I was just about to ask you the nitty-gritty of your actual um scales and all of that but um, yeah probably we should mention what it actually is first this scale so you've done loads of things um we were just saying beforehand you've just published a really interesting 
paper in partnership with did you say a student that you've been working with yes that was a, a declin size student so she was doing a doctorate in clinical psychology mm. and they do a research component to their um thesis alongside practice modules mm. um and her thesis was centered around uh, a feasibility study to look at an intervention to reduce fear of childbirth in pregnancy um so yeah that's just been that's just been put out wow. there i literally just saw it popped up um, when i was looking for you for this uh, to put the references in for this episode um so i say like my, my work is very much I, I do a lot around anxiety a lot around feeding but mm. i really enjoy some of the offshoots as yeah. well of that so that more broadly i'm interested in anything around perinatal well-being to be honest with you yeah um so anything from pregnancy through to the first year after yeah. birth um and yeah anything around well-being and how we can support mums to 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 parent um and feel good about parenting as well that's great it's such an important area and it's wonderful to have so much diversity um so in your so as part of your phd you developed this scale is that right and it's called the postpartum specific anxiety scale so can you tell us what it is and kind of a little bit about it wasn't it. actually intended to to happen as part of my PhD so it was oh, never really? in my initial PhD proposal um but what happened was we did um a qualitative study first mm-hmm. uh looking at experiences of anxiety and feeding um in women from pregnancy to parenthood so I followed a cohort of women uh from late pregnancy through to kind of 16 weeks after birth and that was when we kind of identified um, maternal and infant focused anxieties. And we wanted to do something quantitative, numerical, to, to measure the relationship between anxiety and feeding. So I went and had a look at what measurement tools were available at the time. Mm. And to my surprise, I found that all of the tools that were being used after birth were actually scales designed for general populations yeah validated for general populations and then extrapolated and used with mums yeah Uh, and actually that's it's um it's quite problematic for a number of of reasons um one being is that some of the items within the general measures they talk about things like i feel tired and i feel restless so the style the state trait anxiety inventory is a great example of that which obviously is going to artificially inflate scores in new mothers yeah but so yeah (laughs) but secondly they don't ask about maternal and infant related anxiety so you know things around important things that we know mum make mums feel anxious things around bonding and feeding and returning to work childcare and um you know safety and welfare of the baby so there's there's none of those items kind of encompassed in there so they're not particularly context relevant either no um and actually, the validity work, the psychometric work that's gone on with it demonstrates that they're not, they're not great to use no. either with, with mums in this context. So there'd been a number of pregnancy-specific anxiety scales created already okay. at the point of my PhD. This was in 2016. And these were pregnancy-specific, so they were asking about constructs like fear of birth, um, changes, anxieties around changes in one's appearance, mm-hmm. anxieties around having, um, a, a, you know, a, a traumatic birth, mm-hmm. you know, really, really specific to the period of childbearing, but no measure existed for the period after, after birth. It's bonkers, isn't it? <coughs> what a huge gap. I was mind blown. Yeah. I was just like a little PhD student. Yeah. And I was like, there's nothing there. There's, there was nothing out there. And you must have it was been like, bonkers. this is um, like, okay, well, I've got to do this then. <laughs> exactly it is so that, we were it is that funny thing where you know in work having used like the phq9 and the gad7 a lot and yeah when you're saying it it's like suddenly it's that thing of oh god yeah of course why aren't we actually looking at yeah infant specific things like how's been going how you know how's, how's your relationship how's yeah. relationship and yeah i mean when you think of what just that looks like you know postnatal anxiety what that looks like clinically and how it's experienced by by parents it's a totally different thing from anxiety at other times and periods of your life 
Look, yeah. it is a totally different thing. So how can you possibly measure it using the same tool? You're so right. And empirically, yeah. they found that in the pregnancy anxiety literature right. as well. So they've okay. actually compared, and we've done it postnatally since, I'll talk about that in a minute, but the initial work was in the pregnancy anxiety literature and they compared a general measure to a pregnancy-specific measure. And they found that it predicts unique variants in perinatal outcomes. There's something about the pregnancy-specific anxiety measure that yeah. is distinct from a general measure of anxiety in terms of what it measures. Yeah. And we've done that with the, with the PSAS probably going a step two two steps ahead here because I've not talked about what it is yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But we've done that in terms of um in terms of bonding and in terms of feeding, infant feeding as well. Yeah. And we found again that it, it predicts something unique that a general measure doesn't capture. Um so and it predicts when we control, when we account for a general measure and we still try to look at a perinatal outcome. The PSAS still significantly predicts this outcome. Um, so there's definitely something about childbearing-specific anxiety that is distinct from anxiety experienced at other times of life, even in an empirical manner, as well as a clinical manner as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's really good. And really important to have that empirical data to actually back up what you're seeing in clinical practice. So that, that then gives you a rationale for creating something new so that was your yeah. kind of evidence base for why you needed to do this as part of your work to, to create this yeah. new measure that didn't exist um so i mean i've had a look at it and it looks brilliant it's 51 items the full form isn't it the long form the long form yeah. is 51 items so that was developed from the quality the, the items were developed from the qualitative work with really because we had we had qual we had qualitative data across two different time points after birth, so we did a qualitative analysis on those to generate the items for the scale. Excellent. I mean, we, that's so the it's best really way mother centered, isn't it? Because it's ground. It's really mother centered. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. And actually, if you look in the literature, how a lot of these other scales are developed, it's like six clinicians sat in a room discussing what they think should be included yeah. as opposed to actually asking a woman, okay, what are the main anxieties that you're experiencing? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of measures that aren't developed with the population that are going to be taking them in mind, which is, again, it seems a bit totally insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, how can you possibly develop it without that? Um... So that's how it was created. Um and we had a huge bank of items to start with. Mm. You know, we probably had about 80 items to start with. Yeah. And then it went out to an expert panel of midwives, research midwives, psychometricians, statisticians. Um, we, had, we had lots of different people involved in that. And they reviewed and they refined it. And so we whittled down items at that point. Mm. And then we did a, a we did a pilot study to examine how acceptable it was to mums because we wanted to make sure that what we were asking uh, mums thought were relevant, acceptable, yeah. comprehensible, all that kind yeah. of thing. So we did a pilot study and we got overwhelmingly positive responses from mums saying, we've never taken a measure like this. It's so relevant to what we're experiencing. Right. Um, so at that point, we validated it on a larger scale. Um, so the, the main study in the original study of the PSAS is with 800 mums and we looked at, I'm going to talk about like psychometric terms here, but I can break them down into like more simple terms if, if needed. So we looked at the fact, the facts of structure and that's basically how, how the different items may hang together. Mm -hmm. So how they may hang into different constructs. So whether it's like unidimensional and it just measures one construct, anxiety, or whether there's specific forms of anxiety within those items. Yeah. Um, and we found consistently both in that paper and in and in work going forward that it has four it has four factors, four uh-huh. constructs within it. So they they're all correlated. So it measures anxiety as a whole. Yeah. But then yeah. the we have specific subsets of items. Um, one of those is around competence and attachment anxieties. It's all around parenting uh, self, uh, uh, well, parenting confidence, yeah. how adequate mums feel as a parent, how they feel about their relationship with their child. Mm-hmm. Um, infant safety and welfare anxieties, mm-hmm. which are all around kind of accidental harm, uh, threat to the infant, uh, yeah. items around like cot death and repeatedly checking the infant at night. Um, 
a construct around routine infant care. So it's like general care that includes all the feeding items, so items around feeding method, weight, um, general day-to-day care of the baby. And then psychosocial adjustment anxieties was the final kind of subset of items. Mm. And that looked more broadly at changes in relationships with family, with partner, with friends, mm. um, changes in terms of returning to work and childcare and all that kind of thing as well. So that was a broader kind of uh, scale. Yeah. yeah, really brilliant. And then, so how did you measure those things within? Did you have like Likert scales? Were you saying like, how often are you worrying about this on a you know yeah. scale or how did you measure that? Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a four point Likert response scale. Yeah. Um, and we piloted the response options as well because oh, how great. women can sometimes interpret response options yeah. is important. So um, initially we had um, an all the, so it, it ranged from not at all, it's four point like a scale ranging from not at all to almost always. Mm-hmm. But initially we had always as the top response option. When we ran the pilot study, we found mums didn't endorse Nobody always, would pick always a lot yeah but when we piloted it again with almost always we found that that worked uh, much more effectively Great. so actually <laughs> some of the things that go into so I did a lot of reading around like psychometric measurement health you know and that kind of thing at, at the time and some of the stuff I was reading I was like god like does it really matter what your response options are? But mm, actually, when you put yeah, it into yeah. practice, it really does yeah, matter. So yeah. the nitty gritty of like, and also you asked um, about, you know, how many symptoms have been experienced over the past. And mm. ours looks at recall of anxiety over the past week. week. So it asks okay. about right. frequency, of sim- frequency of symptoms over the past week. Um. And that's to avoid, you know, if you go any kind of, if you ask them to do it over the past month, well, for a start, if you're asking a woman, uh, if you're asking a woman at two weeks postnatal, then she's talking about her experiences in pregnancy. And also, so much changes in that period after birth, particularly the early period, so quickly. And what it then allows you to do is to do repeated measurement. So if you wanted to do it again a few weeks later, you're capturing... Yeah, a number change. of time points. Yeah, yeah. Change, change over and time. Does you, do you measure things like that we would traditionally consider to be symptoms of anxiety? So things like sleeplessness and um, negative intrusive thoughts and and do you do you measure those things or is it specifically related to? It's specifically related to. Okay. So those items are captured. Yeah. Um. So there is. I I've had trouble sleeping even when I've had the chance to. Yeah. Is, is one right. of the items. Yeah. Um. I repeatedly checked on my sleeping baby. Yeah. Um. Is yeah. another one of the items in there. So we do capture those kind of in, intrusions or compulsive thoughts and. Um, yeah. More of the. Um, the re- you know the actual symptoms yes. of anxiety but they are it's 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 geared towards maternal and infant focused anxiety it's all very grounded in real life yeah. very relatable and like yeah. applicable in people's actual lives which is wonderful yeah so i've got a copy of the i think it's from your the validity of the um the scale question and i've got the the scale up and i love the way the question the the points are phrased because they are so accessible you know i have worried more about my relationship with my partner than before my baby was born mm. i have worried about my baby's weight um was i felt resentment towards my partner that always <laughs> yeah. loads really highly that one yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not surprised not surprised i'm guessing a high score on that is like normal yeah <laughs> Actually, you raise a very, very good point there, Jen. And it's one of the challenges with Mm. anxiety and studying anxiety as a construct. So anxiety, to some point, from an evolutionary perspective, is adaptive. Mm -hmm. So some level of anxiety is actually actually helpful to a point. Yes. Whereas depression is never adaptive. It's never that. It's never helpful. Um, So all studies to date... They give a woman a measure and they presume if she scores anything on this measure, she's pathologically anxious, yeah, which isn't, yeah. isn't the case. So one, 
real area of work that I'm trying to unpick is that kind of where's the cutoff? Where where's does and anxiety become significant yeah, and impact on functioning and quality of life and and you know relationships with the infant that's so fascinating um, that must be different for every person yeah exactly exactly so yeah we're doing a study at the minute which is um it's interesting we're looking we're using the PSAS and we're looking at touch points so we're identifying what are the, like the key kind of stresses for women across the first year after birth mm. And then we're going to ask women to take the measure at those different points rather right. than like at set points after birth yeah. to try and see if we can identify some kind of tra- trajectory of anxiety. To be honest, knowing, knowing what the key stress points are after birth, that feels like an obvious thing we should know already and would be massively useful in terms of, you know, mapping out the health visitor contact. I'm thinking of like, are we doing them at the right times? I've asked myself this so many times, like, is the six to eight week contact the right time to be asking the mental health questions? Should it be earlier? Should it be later? I know we should be asking them all the time anyway, but I mean, the six to eight week health visitor contact is the one where people describe it as the mood contact, the mental health that, contact, yeah. the one where we're yeah. really looking at that as the main focus yeah. for the contact. And is that yeah. the right timing for that visit? You know, so all of those results yeah. from your work will be so useful. I feel like we could have and I think it's week. also you're totally right about you say you know you ask about mental health more than once and that is hugely important as well particularly when we're talking about a population of mums because yes. you know we I've, I've had my kids they're a bit older now but there's nights I've had where I've had a couple of hours sleep and yeah. then you know he's mm-hmm. he's been really really touchy all morning if somebody had given me the peace ass at that point yeah. <laughs> my score may have been vastly different yeah to if yeah. I'd done it you know, a week later when dad's taken him for a bit and, yeah. you know, had a bit of a break. Yeah. So very important to to measure more than once. Timing of assessment yeah. and frequency of assessment is also really, really important. It's so interesting because it's almost like, you know, some physiological measures that we know go up and down. I'm th- I was thinking of blood pressure or head circumference, you know, we measure them three times and then we take the average or rather yeah. than like actually yeah. counting just one one measurement but that brings me really to asking you because I know um you've now got the short form as well so we can talk about that too but the other thing I wanted to ask you about was the difference between using it as a screening tool and using it as an intervention measure so you've been using it mostly in research as an intervention measure haven't you so you've been using it once and then doing something and then using it again to measure a chain and that's quite a different thing from using it at a time point to try and get a sense of whether that woman has clinical anxiety or not yeah I've got um the more I think about the PSAS and I've done screening accuracy work with the PSAS the the original PSAS paper we looked at how well the PSAS identified women with and without a self-reported current clinical diagnosis of anxiety and we found that it does identify cases well um albeit on a self-report basis so we we weren't doing anything we weren't getting actual clinical diagnoses but i mean perhaps that's important really because you're like we've just saying it's self-determined when it becomes clinical in a way isn't it because like some people might be able to tolerate quite a high level of anxiety without it really impacting their quality of life whereas other people a small amount of anxiety might seriously impact their daily living in which case that's relevant for them so for them yeah that is the yeah exactly factor, really so shall i talk a bit about the work we've done clinically and Please. where i Sorry. see the piece has and kind of some yeah. of my some of my issues around the term screening tool i yeah. guess and how i envisage the piece as being used and how i hope it's going to be used by clinicians Brilliant. both yeah abroad and in the uk so we've got the short form now which is important in terms of uk practice yeah but actually the long form is being used clinically in Italy. Yeah. Um, it's not that long, is so it? So there's a psychologist in Italy. It it's too long it. to be used in too long to be used in UK clinical practice because nice recommend measures should be less than twelve items. Oh blimey. Did you did I read <laughs> it takes so nine even minutes? Our short form. Your your full form takes nine minutes to it to yeah, use. That's so right. within a health visitor contact, that's perfectly doable. But I suppose with a GP contact it might be tricky. 
and you, yeah, and you get that level of of detail as well with the long form. Yeah, that, for um, accuracy, I imagine. I'll talk about differences between long form Sorry. and short form in a minute because we've done some we've done some interesting stuff there. But I'll talk about the <laughs> no, it's like there's so much, there's so I many can't bits help to myself. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. You mentioned in Italy it's being used clinically. Yes, yeah, so psychologist by by, Alan, by psychologist. Sorry. Yeah, a psychologist in practice. So she's called Alessandra Bramante, and I don't know if you've heard of the Marseille. So it's a it's a charity to support perinatal mental health internationally. Oh, wow. So she's the president of the Italian Marseille. Okay. And I presented some of the PSAS work at the International Marseille Conference a couple of years ago. And she picked it up there and she said, I want to use this in, in my practice. So she's been, we've been collecting data from mums in her clinical practice in Milan uh, since 2018. And yeah. she's been hey. using the long, she's been using the long form. And what she's found, she's found a few really interesting things about using it clinically. So these are mums that are referred in from primary care or self-referrals with um, a mental health problem mm-hmm. right. and she uses the PSAS alongside other measures as well dependent on what the mum's experiencing mm-hmm. um, at the point of entry and what she's found with using the PSAS is that mums tend to cluster on a subscale um, or more than one subscale okay so for example just get can I pull up a couple of the clinical case studies and talk and talk Ooh, through them yeah, I won't I won't I'll, I'll just They'll obviously no identifiers, but yeah. Yeah, so for instance, uh, we, we've we got um, a woman who's been referred in, uh, her infant had been hospitalised for E. coli, she'd been referred by the paediatrician of the hospital. Um, she clustered really highly on factor two, which was infant safety and welfare anxiety. So she scored almost always on about six of mm. the... Um, infant safety and welfare anxiety subscale and she also you know I talked about the preliminary screening accuracy work we we identified a clinical cutoff on the measure there so she scored above the clinical cutoff overall on the measure but then clustered really highly on the infant safety and welfare anxiety subscale okay. so the PSAS helped to inform a diagnosis of postpartum OCD in this instance okay. um, it enabled a plan for treatment by informing the clinician what specific anxieties the patient was experiencing. And then the treatment was centred on reducing obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviours around infant safety and ill, Ill, Ill health. So the hospitalisation had kind of triggered yeah, um, what had happened. So. But So when I talk about it, I see the PSAS as a tool to help clinicians, uh, a tool like a conversation starter if you will so it allows the clinician to come in and identify and then target the conversation around the specific anxieties that the mum's experiencing yeah and then target potential intervention and treatment around that as well whereas a general measure doesn't capture that Uh, it'll just say okay this mum's anxious this mum's not anxious yeah but what the PSAS allows you to do is say this mum's anxious and she's anxious around x y and z so actually it skips that step so, so the, the clinician's got to open that conversation to talk about it yeah. to get it out of the mum when actually it kind of it skips that step and it enables the clinician to get right in there at the center mm. of the problem more quickly so it, it i is, kind of see it as a targeted intervention tool as opposed to a screening tool brilliant yeah. it's interesting because it is that thing where so many times in practice where you'll meet a parent you know that, that you can sense they're anxious, they even reporting themselves that they're feeling anxious. Yeah. But things are so jumbled for them that they don't even completely know where their anxiety is or they'll have fixated on a particular thing and be very clear that, oh, this is an issue around, I don't know, sleep. Yeah. And actually it's feeling around... Oh, oh no, actually more common way around is they think it's an issue around feeding... But actually, it's an issue around sleep. Yeah, exactly. But they're just so hyped up, you can't work out properly where the it's really interesting are you say that, actual that, concerns are. The next case study, we had one that clustered really highly on the feeding items and really highly on the sleep items. So they're on two different factors mm. as well. 
But what it allowed the clinician to do was identify that actually her anxieties around feeding were stemming from insomnia, not being able to sleep when the baby sleeps and all that kind of thing, which again then targets intervention and treatment more effectively. I'm also... We've had real... Sorry, Sorry, go on. No, you're gonna say. Yeah, yeah, keep going. So we've had really positive comments from the clinicians in Italy about using the PSAS. So they say, you know, it opens up the conversation, it allows them to target the most specific anxieties quickly. Um mm. it helps them differentiate between O C D and GAD well as well, yeah. they found. Yeah. Um so yeah, we've had some really good comments back about them using it. Over That's there. really wonderful. I was just going to say, it's what you just said there about um, opening up the conversation. I can imagine it being like, I don't, I don't want to say too much for like a a questioner at all, but it almost feels like it might have a therapeutic role in itself because I can imagine just a parent reading those items and feeling such relief that my experience is written down on a piece of paper in, in this way that's, that's, oh, right, yeah, I am feeling that. And apparently that's common because there's yeah, a question like, yeah. here that's yeah. asking me whether I'm feeling it. Do you see what I mean? Like a lot of yeah, parents that's, yeah. really worry about, I'm thinking particularly about negative intrusive thoughts of harming the baby or of harm coming to the baby accidentally. And they're worried to tell you about that. Like I keep having flashes that I'm going to drop them down the stairs or I keep having flashes that, you know, this is awful thing's going to happen. Um, and seeing it happen in front of me and that's a very much a clinical anxiety manifestation it's also super common, common. And but a lot of women don't like realize do they, they don't realize because that other women are experiencing tell you yeah yeah exactly so i guess yeah you're right it does validate a woman's experience yeah yeah um in a way and i think that's why women find it you know more acceptable yeah. than the than the to, tools that are for you know normal adult populations yeah like the gad yeah. yeah absolutely they can relate to it yeah yeah that's it see themselves reflect yeah. there it's brilliant so interesting and really important work yeah. Vicky. so it's been used in italy clinically are there any plans or is it being used clinically in the uk at all so we've just got a grant for it Yay! literally last last night so i would i I look really tired this morning thank you thank you so it's only an internal pot of money um but a a smallish pot of money but it allows us to take some of the work forward so in the uk with the pisa so there's not as much kind of red tape around measure in italy and the rest of europe as there is in the uk um And I think a lot of reasons. So the GAD seven is the well GAD two followed by GAD seven is the currently recommended screen for anxiety in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the Hooli questions are currently yeah. used to measure depression. Yeah. And you can see why the the both you know the GAD two and the Hooli. You've got four four questions Literally. in total yeah. to ask about mum's mental health. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I, you know, I understand in terms of. Um, health service burden and um but it's not ideal no, and i don't think no. you really capture in and i don't as you just said i don't think you really validates a woman's experience by asking yeah. those four questions no, either. definitely there, ha- there has to be a conversation between speed of delivery and accuracy of findings yeah. yeah there's a balance yeah. it's just so easy there. especially i find the hooli question especially so easy to just they can be shrugged off. And people yeah. hate or, them yeah. as well. People hate yeah. them. Yeah. Which understandably. Yeah. Have Definitely. you been bothered by feelings of down, depressed or hopeless? Uh, <laughs> what a weird way of asking <laughs> you a question. And I appreciate that it's asking about like, you know, you might feel down, depressed and hopeless, but it's not really bothering you. Like, yeah. what? it's such an odd phrasing. It, it's yeah. not, yeah. it doesn't appeal to people at all. It doesn't have that. Because it's not rooted in experiences. How I mean, do you find? It designed, but... I got a question for you. Ooh, <laughs> how do you find? How do you find using them in practice? Using those screening tools. Yeah, I find them really clunky. Right. Yeah. To actually okay. use them, to use the wording as it's written, as you're supposed to, because you're not supposed to, you know, deviate. Deviate. No. You're supposed to literally yeah. say it as it's written, because that's how it's been validated, obviously. But. I find the wording really interrupts my conversation. So if I'm trying to have a conversation with a parent and then I have to kind of go, I almost have to caveat it to be like, 
going to ask you some screening questions now. They sound a bit odd. Don't worry about the wording of them. It's just a conversation starter. And then we can talk about your mental health a bit more broadly. And then I'll ask the questions, get the answer. But you almost see them shutting down for that. Set yeah. Because they're yeah. like, oh, here's a bit I just have to kind of get through. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think I have ever identified anxiety and depression in a parent by using those alone specifically it has often come out during the contact using clinical conversation clinical skills beforehand Mm. um and And how would you feel about you know using the using the pisa yes please we're looking at as a a conversation starter yeah looking at the questions i think that's brilliant um I just, I, I feel even the way that they're phrased just feels so much more natural way of yeah. talking about things. And it's like looking through as well, I just think, well, yeah, these are all things that we would actually want to cover yeah. anyway. Right. Or that they would have queries about yeah. and be able to sort of explore. So it feels much more natural. I think, I, I feel, I mean, it's one of those things where looking at it, I always feel like, well, why is health visitors are we not using this already? Yes. Because exactly, I just think this too. would be, it would have, I mean, you, you think about it, we have that thing where if we identify a concern, we're then often, I mean, we're fortunate enough now with extra funding that's been around to have perinatal mental health teams that we can refer into. Sometimes. But one of the key things there is how much information you can give to them. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like using a tool like this so much better That's able really to identify point. and then also from the point of view of my infant feeding hat on to be able to really highlight and identify the need for infant feeding specialists yeah. within teams to really be able to take on this thing because I think there is still such a thought that infant feeding is something that oh you know everyone should know about it we're meant to be jacks and jills of all trades mm. we're meant to be able to do everything mm. yeah and it feels really weird how with mental health there's suddenly been this whole oh yeah no actually we can't do all of that ourselves we do need extra special help whereas infant feeding seems to be yeah dragging behind a bit and they're tied quite... together so so i think you make yeah. a really important point about it helping to lay the groundwork for specialist referrals and give you something yeah. to write on that referral form as well in yeah. terms of like and even as well for, the issues yeah but also even for our own records you know how many times have we yeah. amy have we had it where you've maybe been going to do a new birth visit and you look in the records and you see there was a history of postnatal depression or yeah. history of anxiety but you don't know what, what does that mean was around and that. so you're going yeah. in completely blind whereas if you had notes or a copy of this, you could see specifically yeah. where those concerns were. And so you already know, you're already planning, thinking, right, th- this has been an issue in the past, let's see where they're at. But you'd hopefully be taking the scale to do afresh. Yeah. So yeah. that if there were different concerns, so those would come out. I can really, the reason I wanted to have you on, Vicky, is because I think this is so practical. That's literally the reason. I read the scale and I was like, this is great. This is really good. I can really imagine myself using it. And I can see myself, say, in a clinic, and you know, like, whenever you do a clinic, I don't know whether you have this, Jenny, but literally every clinic I do, there's at least one person who ends up in tears, and you're like, I'm going to just take your details, and I'm going to come and see you at home <laughs> at some point, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's always somebody where you're like, okay, we need more time than we have in clinic right now. And yeah. I feel like this would be a really useful tool for those then subsequent home visits so you've seen them you've identified that there's a need they've maybe like you know had a bit of a wobble had a moment and you say okay I'm going to come and see you at home and then when you go to see them you could be like right I'd really love if it's okay with you I'd like to use this questionnaire it's been developed with parents so I think you might see some of your experiences reflected in it and I'm hoping it's going to be useful to help us unpick exactly how you're feeling what your worries are so that I can then help you to address some of those worries. So it's not just yeah. about labelling you as having anxiety or not having anxiety, but it's actually about us helping to move forward to helping yeah. you address some of your concerns. And if we get into the point yeah. where we think you need specialist referral or specialist support, then of course we can do that and we have these services in place. But this will help us to unpick what those issues are. Those issues are, yeah. I, I feel like this will prevent that, that 
feeling of the only way I can describe it almost eye rolling and you hear it from yeah. parents so often it, parents who often have had postnatal depression things who are quite open about having not been honest with health listeners yeah. have had the Edinburgh postnatal scale come out and have eye rolled and just been like you could see straight away yeah what I needed to tick to get them off my back and off my case whereas this actually feels like much more personalized much more taking interest in the person and where they're at and I feel like it would be less likely for someone just to go I mean there will be those who just still tick zero for everything um but then then there's a limit you you have to end up sort of at the point of going well you know if you're really if you're yeah that's what you're presenting to me (laughs) I'm gonna try and work with what I can can, encourage you with what I can but um but yeah but for those who maybe were on the fence and were a little bit uncertain of whether to disclose I feel like more would be more likely to share more yeah the relatable nature of it makes it feel empathic in itself so it makes it gives you it's like a way into that empathic compassionate conversation that's really nice to rather than separating that compassionate conversation from the measure which is what often happens you have to have the measure and then and it, you have to somehow inject compassion into that interaction that around measure, the measure. Yeah, which is then difficult after you've been giving them a measure that's perhaps not particularly relevant to their needs. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's yeah. seeing themselves reflected. It makes it, it it helps to bridge that that yeah that sort of uncomfortableness with a measure. Interestingly, yeah. as well, we found in a, a paper that's under review at at the moment. Mm. Um, <coughs> we excuse me we tried to, we validated in this paper we validated the PSAS up to one year after mm-hmm. birth so we did a confirmatory factor analysis and we found that it has this four factor structure for a year after birth but yeah. then we looked at the subscales in a bit more detail and we looked at them in relation to birth experience oh right. so Great. we asked mums like objective experiences so what um medical interventions they may have had during birth and what complications they may have had during birth and then we asked about subjective birth experience as well using the birth satisfaction scale brilliant and then we looked we correlated their birth experiences and we looked at the different subscales of the PSAS and we found really interesting stuff so we found that specific experiences predict specific forms of anxiety across the first year of life um so a, a good example is uh, babies that had been admitted to NICU or who were born prematurely mm. were much more likely to experience routine infant care anxiety. Mm-hmm. So we hypothesised that that might be due to separation of mother and infant at birth and not being involved in that kind of day-to-day mm. care of the baby. Yeah, but that yeah. this extends across the first year because these were months with babies up to 12 months old. Wow. Um, and there were a couple, I don't want to share because it's under review at the minute, but that yeah, was the, yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. key yeah. points. Yeah. The, what, the, the main take-home message from the paper was that actually we can predict what forms of anxiety a mother might experience across the first year based on her experiences during so birth. So valuable. We which, might be again, would be really important for you yeah. because you yes. get the history, history of birth experience. Okay, well, we know that mum might be a little bit more anxious around yeah. these things. Yeah. So we can, you know, ask a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just so, love... I wonder, how I, many, just love I wonder how many are listening to this and going... Oh my God, yes, because you know, when I have parents who've had time on NICU, they often seem to need to have a lot more reassurance yeah. that they're doing everything right we or know, they're very yeah. set in their ways and very much, but this is how they did it on NICU and not able to adapt to that. Well. Yeah. And that, if that can be validated, that would be such a useful tool for yeah. us to do. So, I mean, what I'm wondering is there anything that us as health visitors can do yes. to try what and can get to validated? Is there anyone we can write to? Anyone we can sort of say, yeah. please, can can we look we at this tool. Get this in our practice? <laughs> well, this is what the grant's about. Yay. So, this is the grant is the policy support fund we've gone for, oh, and it's to great. try and get the PSAS some more exposure in terms of policymakers in the UK. Brilliant. So. We developed the short form, as you know, which is a research short form. Mm-hmm. And that took the PSAS from 51 items to 16 items. Mm-hmm. Majorly importantly, those four factors remain. Oh, well so done. we have yeah. 16 items, four factors, which load onto each... Sorry, four items, which load onto each, each of the factors. That's so good. So what, 
what's quite nice about this in terms of clinicians is that there's an even number of items now in each factor. So we're not numerically giving more weight to one fact than another. Because mm-hmm. in the original PSAS, some of the factors were, some of the items, facts were longer than, yeah. Which implicitly when you're measuring them means you're placing more emphasis, emphasis on, on one, one construct yeah. than another, which I don't necessarily think is psychometrically great yeah so we did that we also made it universally applicable to all mothers so we removed items around partner and friends to make it uh, applicable to women who may not have had family and friends around them single parents we also removed items around returning to work okay um just because some mums might not be planning to return to work to allow it to be used for for everyone basically okay i still think there's a lot of value in the long form yeah in terms of oh yeah but in terms of getting a tool that people in the uk will look at and go okay this could be used in practice it needed to be universal if you were trying to get use for it i mean i can imagine the short form being really useful in a gp consultation where they've only got 10 minutes end to end um but typically for health visitors we do have more time so if I was a public health commissioner um, or a commissioner of health services and I was looking at how to implement this resource, I'd be saying, okay, the GPs and the clinicians where they have really, really time-boxed short windows, perhaps we could be using the short form. But if you have the opportunity for a listening visit, perhaps for a, a parent on um, Universal Plus programme, um, you're typically going to have 45 minutes or an hour there. So using a 10 minutes no, to do a, a form... I accept that not every service is going to have the capacity to be offering listening visits at the moment. And to be honest, many of them won't be. Um, But I'm thinking from a commissioning angle of if you were looking at commissioning a service, what would be or should be in place, that feels like a a reasonable thing. I would see it more um, almost like how we use... ASQs and the ASQSE, Amy. Oh, so out. I would see using the short form as a standard thing that maybe we use for at the six to eight week review. Which, I mean, to be fair, we do. Although we have more than ten minutes, typically yeah, six to eight most week areas only schedule about half an hour for. No, it. no, I was thinking yeah. more of so the, the contact. The shorter was... one would be good, and then if you identify yeah, exactly. concerns then it gives you that structure for listening visit. And to be fair, having the longer form for a listening visit would be amazing. Because how many times have we done listening visits where you go there and it's a bit like you feel like, oh, I've, I've come, but I'm not entirely sure that I sure. want to be How do I get yeah. into this? And so it's that difference. Sure. I, I don't know if you know of the ASQs, Amy. Um, Amy, no, you know about them, Vicky. <laughs> um, no. Because um, so when we do developmental reviews at nine to 12 months and two to two and a half years old. Ah, so these are the baby ASQ rolling like, over and crawling. Yeah, yeah, that it's kind, like yeah, a standardised yeah, yeah. form going through sort of communication, gross motor skills, fine motor skills, um, personal and social cognitive. and... Oh, it's not pan- cognitive, is it? But it's um, emotional, isn't problem it? solving, they call it. Yeah, I filled them in for my own yeah. Yeah, many moons yeah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, especially with the two, two and a half year one, if there are further concerns or if there are family on um, universal partnership or partnership plus and things, or if there's anyone through screening where we have concerns developmentally, especially potential for um, neurodiversity and things, we have this more detailed social and emotional scale that we can go through the parents we'd often use that then yeah to yeah. give us more of a structure around do we need to look at referral on to further services and things yeah and so again it would be that kind of thing of using the initial screening tool for all but then yeah having that access to the 51 um you can item. certainly imagine that's how we use wider yeah, I mean, the Italian psychologist, Alessandra, she she loves using the long form, but I suppose she has time within her service to mm, use that and yeah. finds it finds it really useful. So I think there's value in both, and I, I see what you're saying about kind of... We've got a GAD 2, GAD 7 at the minute. Yeah. You know, what about a, a PSAS 16, PSAS 51? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so, yeah. So we got the short form, which get brought us kind of once one step closer. I'd like to mention at some point the um, international work we've been doing with it yeah. as well because we've done yes, a lot more do, apart do, from right. in, um, yeah we've we've published quite a bit now in other countries using I've it. And it's seen, quite that's yeah. quite interesting. Um, 
But yeah, the short form, um, we got a policy support fund, which we found out about last <laughs> night, to, uh, to, to get some exposure for the PSAS. So what, we, what we're hoping to do is do focus groups with stakeholder groups. So I guess you could help us out, actually, because yeah. it would be absolutely fabulous to have you involved in oh, one of the focus I groups. Because we want that. health visitor, um, we, want, we want those there, we want midwives there, we also want policymakers yeah. in England. We're going to try yeah. and get the Royal Colleges involved as well, so We'd we've got links to. with those already. Brilliant. Um, and my colleague, Sergio, you'll see he's involved in a lot of my PSAS work. He's based at King's College. Yeah. His line um, manager is... Um, King's College. His, uh, his line manager is the NHS England Improvement Lead. Oh, so great. So we, we've got links in with her. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, yeah. Should, we, should we make sure we have your email address in the blurb for this and say... Definitely. If anyone is interested in working with Vicky, being a stakeholder, then please do email her. Yeah, um, definitely. She'd love to hear from you. That would be fabulous, um, yeah. And because I think as well, it's that thing where hopefully, I know sometimes you can end up with these things where you end up kind of grabbing people from a, a quite a small net because it's like, oh, you've all found out about Brilliant. Hopefully, I know we do have listeners up and down the country and I think it's it's probably a fair thing to say, isn't it? That you know, we're not you don't have to be the perinatal mental health nurse. You don't have to be the lead on it. Mm-hmm. Just even being a health visitor and coming with your own experience something like this is Definitely. amazing. Um there is a benefit where it looks great on a C V and things as well. If you say you've done this sort yeah. of thing. It will but be excellent. So we'd be focused. You don't group. have to be the leader of the team or anything to do yeah. this. It would, it would just be a chat. So we're looking to bring a load of people together in a room to ask them what they want about measurement of anxiety, how they'd like to see anxiety identified and measured in the UK. Yeah, um, And then we're going to show them the PSAS and see what they think of it. And then we're, we're then going to do a Delphi survey, which is to gain oh, consensus on a topic with the same group of people that did the focus group. Oh. And then we're going to go down and present some of the findings from those two phases back to policymakers to hopefully generate oh, the exposure yes. we need to get the PSAS into a service and used in the UK. I should really hope so. I mean, just on a side note, the way you design your research, Vicky, is excellent. Oh, thank you. This is why you've you. actually got a PhD and you're a prolific writer <laughs> and you have all of these publications. I've got a great a team as well. that's just starting out, but... Yeah, I mean when I developed the PSAS, we, we did not anticipate the interest. So the we, we did it. it. We, that's why. We published it and there was just me and my supervisor, Joe Harold, who wasn't in, in, into anxiety. She wasn't interested in anxiety, she was interested <laughs> in feeding. Yeah. So that's she she's now. Just, <laughs> but, uh, um, and suddenly we started getting these requests through once it had been published. We wanna we wanna use it. We wanna translate it we like to validate it we'd like you know we'd like to use it in our service and that kind of thing and we've had we've we've worked now with over 50 research teams across over 39 countries we're we're working in now so we've published um the iranian validation turkish validations uh, french validations italian validations so it's we couldn't believe how much it it kind of took off and how how many different people across the globe were like interested in this and thought that it was necessary and important got the i've just got like the map up on um yeah your article yeah yeah. foundation (laughs) article and oh my word it is like yeah it's i mean all over the place we had to get all of north america (laughs) yeah we had to get quickly copyright in place for it because we knew we wanted to develop a short form and we didn't want anyone to get there first and extract the items so there's a copyright license in place for the PSAS. so all requests to use it have to come through us yeah and we authorize um a letter and then issue the PSAS. so we can audit then and track usage and we know who's using it and what for that's great and it allows us to kind of keep tabs on it and make sure people aren't using it inappropriately yeah. or trying to like take items off yeah. and add items on. We know that those four factors hold constant across cultures and contexts, which is really interesting. That's which indicates, so interesting. Yeah, which indicates that like those four 
constructs of maternal and infant focused anxiety are almost universal is where I'm kind of getting to with the that hypothesis now is fascinating some of the items this is where I'm really I'm really interested in the cross-cultural stuff because I yeah, find it I find it fascinating some of the items don't work in some cultures mm-hmm. like we did one in Myanmar um and wow. they they live on the water none of the women work yeah and they all they all breastfeed yeah so the items around returning to work and feeding method were completely redundant yeah. in that context yeah but the four factors still held constant despite oh those goodness. items not not functioning yeah. that's so incredible can i just say what an amazing measure you've developed that is robust enough to hold constant those four factors across a, such a different cultural background really interesting so, and some of the work we've got a phd student now who's gonna we've now got data sets from lots of different countries so we've tried to work with so we, we've got an approved translation method and yeah. we try and work with all of the research teams where we can yeah um to make sure that they're using kind of the methods that we'd like it to be used you know the, the translation methods that we'd like to be used yeah and also to make sure they like fulfill sample size requirements and make sure it's psychometrically sound as well yeah and we've got data sets now from lots of different countries that we're now i've got mm. a phd student we're planning to bring all those together and look at how it's being interpreted across cultures That's um yeah, so, and I find that really... Because there's not words for some things in other countries. No. We've found this as we've gone through. We translate it and it comes back really weird. Yes. And then it's like, <laughs> there's not there's not a word for that in our language. Yeah. <laughs> I was say, you, I can't, you can't just use Google Translate, can you? No, no. <laughs> but we didn't think of it. So the word juggle is in there. So I think it's like, I felt unable to juggle motherhood. Yes. And the word juggle has been a real... I, I, if I could go back and change the word juggle now, I really would go back and change it. Yeah. Because they're just like, they don't they, it's, they don't have any concept of what that is in, in other cultures. It's really interesting. It's, um, I run a, separate from everything, I run a children's charity based in Kenya. Um, and oh, wow. we work in a really um, quite small area, but the, culturally, the group, the population we work with are as different from here as you can get like forget yeah um and i've actually done for my undergraduate degree did some work a questionnaire cross-cultural questionnaire study um across Kenya in the uk it was never published or anything but i had a little bit of experience of attempting to try and do back translations and all of that and then also work within really bounded literacy issues you know so yes there's so many challenges here um yeah there, there really so, is I mean, and there's also another hour but let's not yeah mums don't like well in in certain cultures disclosure and mental health issues doesn't Real doesn't stigma. happen yeah. yeah and um they they might talk about it in terms of you know uh, having a bad headache or having yeah. a tight stomach and that kind of thing as opposed to talking about it in terms of feelings and experiences and yeah. you know um so yeah. that's really going to be really interesting work going forward in kenya there's a lot of um witchcraft beliefs as well around yeah. mental health so people will say that they that they're possessed rather than or that you know the ancestors are punishing them or you know, there's yeah, those types yeah. of beliefs um, yeah. that, that come yeah. along with these issues. But sorry, I'm really digressing. That's so interesting. interesting. Um, I, I did have a burning question to actually get us on. back on, um, on, on point. Um, the scale sounds amazing. You're talking about mothers. So it's clearly been validated for use with people who identify as female and have given birth. So do you imagine it ever being able to be used with other genders other than women so we have done initial work with okay. with fathers using the PSAS this is very very kind of foundational exploratory work so what I did with an undergraduate student last year yeah um was she was looking at uh, experiences of relationships between mental health and experiences of of maternity care yeah um and we use the uh saps the satisfaction it's saps 
short assessment of patient satisfaction okay. to measure satisfaction with care. Um, and we used the EPDS and the PSAS and we we, we um, recruited both mums and dads yeah. to this. Dads are really difficult to recruit. <laughs> like online, right? They're really, really difficult to recruit. So dads, like we, when, we, when we go out and recruit mums, we we get lots of we lots of mums quite quickly. So the original yeah. piece has we collected the data on eight hundred in two months. Yeah. Um the the father's one that we ran last year, we had it up for ages and ages and we managed to get like ninety in total. Yeah. And she really, really tried. No. But I suppose as well, I mean looking at it I mean I'm looking at on the uh, the validation of postpartum specific anxiety scale article looking at the 12 point scale on there i can see the way the questions are worded they're not specifically gendered so yeah. if it was a non-binary parent or oh, of course yeah, yeah no, parent, it would extend- they would still be able to use it because although we've spoken about mothers it's not the the actual way the questions are, are written we- aren't gendered so we were we we did try to be we did try to be really mindful of that when we were when we were creating the piece as to start with because there's a we've used other measures that have come from the 70s and 80s before in online research and had rightly so complaints about them because there are items within them that are really gendered so i think moving being mindful of that and moving away from that is really, really important in terms of any measurement tool going forward. Yeah, so we, yeah we have tried to consider that. Making them inclusive, um, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, literally, you've thought of everything, Vicar. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, so we're hoping a, a, a one for fathers is in the post anyway. So we've done the initial yeah. work. We need mm. to collect some more data. We, we do need to, we removed items that would be specifically related to a birthing mother in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and then ran it just like that. But I imagine there'll be items that need to be added. We, do, we need to do some qualitative work mm-hmm. to identify like what the, what the anxieties are there for fathers yeah. and maybe include some extra items in there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I imagine there's certain things that would be more salient for yeah, fathers for sure. in terms of anxiety yeah yeah, yeah. um really interesting work is there anything else that you wanted to add i'm aware that we've taken a lot of your time and really no, i really enjoyed it i love talking about the piece house <laughs> yeah it's great it's like the yeah, favorite bit of my work to talk about i never thought that i'd be that interested in kind of uh, psychometrics no. and, and <laughs> measurement that wasn't what my phd initially set out to do it was you know to kind of try and which I guess, you know, I am doing it was to help women feel better about, you know, anxiety yeah. and, and support women better with, with the feeding experiences. Um, but the just the measurement absolutely fascinates me and um, mm. how we can improve measurement. And I think measurement is so key to, so to everything. Key. And not just scientifically, but in, in practice, yeah, in practice as well. You need to be able to have the tools to be able to help you. Yeah. identify yeah. and and treat and if, you know if they're not out there as you're saying like if you're going in with the hoolie and the mother's giving an eye roll then it's not the conversation starter yeah. that you guys want no. is it so yeah. i'd say it gets in not. the way of the interaction more than it aids it whereas i can really imagine this facilitating the interaction um, that's really nice to hear so i love hearing feedback if anybody's listening thinking um I want to use this in my practice. I would like to get this implemented in my service. I would like to talk to the service leads or, you know, they'd be interested in doing a piece of work around that. Then contact Vicky. We're going to put her email address in the um, show notes for the podcast um, and get in touch and, and we can start changing yeah. things for um, families. Oh, so do, you, do you want to give your email address quickly now, yeah. Vicky, just in case yeah. anyone's there with pen and paper going, just give us the address yeah, now. Fair. So it's... <laughs> V Fallon, which is V F A L L O N at liverpool.ac.uk. And just to thank you both for giving me the opportunity to come on and talk about it. Because oh, then, you know, we really keen, we're always trying to engage with, you know, local and national um, stakeholders who are interested in, in the tool and try and get exposure and get it out there a bit more. Yeah. So. If you're uh, a health you. visitor oh, no, or a nursery been... nurse or an infant feeding worker or a, or a staff nurse or anybody else working in the health visiting team by the way you're a stakeholder that's yeah. the, like the term we use in research and it makes it sound very fancy and like something that you couldn't possibly be but you actually are 
it's anybody yeah. who's interested in 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 the tool and you know may potentially want to use it yeah. so um anybody mm-hmm. but yeah anyone who's interested please do get in touch because i'd welcome the opportunity to talk further about it Thank oh, you. Vicky, it's been great to uh, oh, thank chat you. to you. No, it's been great. And, I really enjoyed um, it. Yeah, we could we could happily just keep chatting all <laughs> day, but I think things like lunch and uh, yeah. other yeah. commitments might get in the way a bit. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we can all agree Vicky's been amazing, and uh, I hope you've really enjoyed this podcast. Um, have a look. We've got a few others around um, mental health and anxiety and things, so if you've not seen our previous podcast on the area have a look through um but in the meantime if you want to get in touch with us you can get in touch via instagram which does seem to be the most popular way of getting in touch with us now at i am a hv we're also on um facebook i am a health visitor and our email address is i am a health visitor all one word at gmail.com take care for now and we'll be no doubt in your ears again soon (laughs) thanks so much for listening everyone bye